0: So last uh, the last uh, two talks I've given, do people remember what they were about? Probably over last month, really, and the month before. So I doubt that anybody does remember. Does anybody remember? Yeah. Hmm? Craving. craving, that's right. That was the second noble truth. And the one before that was the first noble truth. So I'm doing a series. <laughs> Many years ago, I did the uh, Noble Eightfold Path series, all eight of them. So I'm doing uh, the Four Noble Truths. So today, it must be the Third Noble Truth. And this, of course, is uh, really the deep end of Buddhism, isn't it? The the, uh, Third Noble Truth is realising the Dhamma, making the breakthrough to Dhamma. And so this is a, a very deep subject, but one that it's good to have an understanding of and to have a direction. So when our minds incline in that way, we have some information to how to proceed, to develop the insight deeper and deeper. And of course, I've titled this talk, and you'll understand it later. I'll explain it later, hopefully. And it's called You Don't Own Me. You Don't Own Me. It's the Third Noble Truth. So it's quite an intriguing title, isn't it? I think it is. (laughs) But I'll explain that later as we go along. So the Third Noble Truth, of course, most people know this. Uh, uh, Most of the Buddhists will know this. And of course, I'll just read it out, because then it's clear in our minds. And this is Ajahn Sajjato's translation. It's a very nice translation, I think. Now, this is the Noble Truth of the cessation of suffering. It's the fading away and cessation of the very same craving with nothing left over, absolutely nothing left over, giving it away, letting it go, releasing it and not adhering to it. So this is all about craving. I think it's very interesting because we use it there in uh, the English, but if we actually say it is the giving craving away, Letting craving go, releasing craving, and not adhering to craving. It's got much stronger uh, force to it. So it's really quite, it's, it's the end of craving, really, isn't it? So, and the Buddha says to us, this is to be realized. And of course, this is something that is a, um, it will depend on our practice, of course, doesn't it? If we can develop enough stillness in the mind, enough clarity in the mind, where the mind is free of the negative aspects of the mind. Sometimes I call them the hindrances. Yesterday I was talking to the teens group and I called them the five distractions. (laughs) These are the things that block us from actually seeing things very, very clearly seeing things how they are. But once those um, obstructions, once those distractions are out of the way, once they've gone down, the mind is pure, the mind has come together to some degree, then we can see deeply into the nature of reality. And the nature of reality is always the same, actually. (laughs) It's easy to say, but uh, um, hard to realise. And of course, the third noble truth is usually when we talk about the, uh, with nothing left over, it's really talking about experiencing the breakthroughs to the Dhamma that lead to Nibbāna. It's really talking about realising Nibbāna. And this, of course, is becoming fully awakened and becoming an uh, arahant, fully enlightened. And this is possible for anybody that practises the Noble Eightfold Path. Many of you are probably think, no, not me. <laughs> not me, I don't think so, not this lifetime. And many people say that. But, of course, if we practice the Noble Eightfold Path, the Buddha said this is the result of it, that we, we can achieve, can attain, we can realize, Better realize is better, um, full enlightenment, full awakening. And, of course, there are two types of uh, um, beings that experience full enlightenment, two types of arahants, those that have um, something left over, we say, and that something is usually the karma for this body and mind to continue until the, the body passes away. And then they experience what we call parinibbana. And the second type, of course, is somebody whose body and mind ceases altogether. And that's parinibbana. And of course, the Buddha, before he passed away, that's what happened. The body passed away, and the mind passed away. And there was, uh, he wasn't reborn again. So, so oftentimes, people hear about Nibbāna, and they think, oh, I don't know if I'm ready for that. <laughs> because it sounds, sounds like the deep end. And also, it sounds like, well, what is it? You know, And everybody wants to know what this uh, Nibbāna is. And the Buddha was once asked by a Brahmin who said uh, to him, uh, Asked him about Nibbana being directly visible. Isn't that interesting? Because many religions, uh, to realise the goal or the fruit of that religion, you have to wait until you pass away. But this is directly visible in this life, Nibbana. And then the Buddha said to that Brahman uh, that uh, one who experiences the destruction of lust with nothing left over, the destruction of hatred with nothing left over, the destruction of... Illusion with nothing left over. It is in this way that uh, Nibbāna is directly visible, immediate, inviting one to come and see, applicable, to be personally experienced by the wise. Does that sound familiar? That, <laughs> that's the definition of the Dhamma, isn't it? The explanation we chanted it just a minute ago. Isn't that great? Chanting it in English, you recognise those words. So this is the message of the Buddha, is that these states, Nibbāna, uh, full enlightenment, full awakening, is realizable in this life, and, uh, and visible in this life, can be experienced in this life. And when these defilements are um, gone for good, this is the point of it, isn't it? When all that uh, wanting, all that uh, desire, and call that lust, that hatred, that ill will, that aversion, that delusion and ignorance is gone, then this is full awakening, full enlightenment. And this is the ending of a lot of problems in our lives because the things that really torment us, really give us a hard time, are our negative states. (laughs) They really are. Once they're taken care of, happiness, it is happiness to be without them. And uh, sometimes people, when they hear the cessation of suffering, it sounds like a um, a very technical term, doesn't it? Uh, Nuroda, dukkha naroda. And it's the emphasis, why do we use this word cessation? Why not just, you know, making an end or putting an end or something like that to suffering? And of course, the idea of cessation is that it's a natural process. That uh, is occurring when, when all the things that have fueled us to be in this life are being uh, running out, are ceasing, uh, are coming to an end by themselves, not due because most of us are due to uh, think of you know, doing things, coming from, you know, willpower, getting things done, you know, I'm going to attain enlightenment this week, I'm going to retreat on the weekend, I'm I'm going to become fully enlightened. (laughs) That idea, attaining and achieving and all that. And that's the conditioning that we have from our lives, from work, from our education, everything in our lives, really. But really, cessation comes around from understanding, from wisdom power, not willpower. We're so used to doing, as I mentioned, and from using our will. And actually, one of the translations I like for this term we use, sankara, is a choice, chooser. We often feel we're the chooser, we're the craver. And this is a very interesting thing, I think, with um, the third noble truth, we see that we aren't the craver, if we see deeply enough. That is actually a process, and always has been. And this uh, owning, thinking we own this body and mind is really just a delusion. It's a process, body and mind, both of them are process. And in actual fact, when we see something like that, at this very deep level, we will be so relieved, (laughs) so happy. We've been carrying these burdens around for ever so long because the Buddha says, you know, that this cycle of birth and rebirth, samsara, is endless. It's uh, incalculable, not necessarily endless, because someone that realizes this third noble truth, they're going to put an end to rebirth. And how does that that process uh, cease? And of course, we have, I think most of you have heard of the dependent origination. And this explains the Four Noble Truths like a, in a, in a um, flow chart, almost. It shows how dependent origination shows how suffering arises, how unsatisfactoriness arises in our lives, in, in our experience. It shows how we are reborn and can re-experience it again and again and again, keep doing that on repeat. But that would be pretty depressing, wouldn't it, <laughs> if that was the only thing the Buddha taught. But he taught dependent cessation, that this is thing, the whole process can cease um, in a cause and effect uh, manner. So when we understand, for instance, the Four Noble Truths, this is the ending of ignorance, which is the source of the whole of the process of birth and rebirth going on and on again, because we think it is worthwhile being reborn. Because we're attached to so much, we want to come back to experience those things, be with those people that are dear to us. And this process will uh, keep going. But when one understands the Four Noble Truths, one, uh, and, uh, th- then this, this process can start to cease because it's really coming from this a wrong understanding, this delusion of what the world's about, what uh, the nature of reality is about, is, is the source of it all, the source of uh, how suffering arises. And of course, when one understands that, then the, what I call intentional activities, sankharas, the way we act through body, speech and mind, will no longer, if we've understood the nature of reality, no longer give rise to the karma that will allow us to be reborn. And then the process finishes, ceases, uh, step by step. And there are 12 links of uh, dependent origination, and the cessation is 12 links. But basically, once we understand what it's all about, then the process starts to unwind. Then the process starts to cease. And uh, if people think, well, that sounds a bit heavy, (laughs) a bit depressing, (laughs) it's not. Because one of the images that the enlightened monks and the enlightened nuns mention in the uh, uh, Terigata and the Terigata, that's the verses of those monks and nuns, is that somebody who's realized the Dhamma, someone that has realized the Four Noble Truths, has understood dependent origination They are like a work person waiting for their wages. Their feet are up, they're relaxed, they're ready for it. (laughs) They're finished, knowing the work's done, over, and they're very happy. So this is another definition of what Nibbāna is, isn't it? Often the Buddha mentions Nibbāna is the highest happiness. So this is the process, and it's interesting because it's always in the dependent the, uh, origination, dependent cessation, is pointing to the fact it's a process, not a person, not an individual, and that uh, is, is what we get caught in. And of course, it's, it uh, is the this uh, breakthrough to the four noble truths is the first in, is the first uh, stage of awakening, isn't it? It's the stream entry. When somebody understands the four, uh, the four noble truths, and we remember uh, that uh, the first who was the first person who who uh, became a stream enter first stage of enlightenment. Oh, That's right, Anya Kandanya. That's it. Oh,
1: that
0: you got it. You, I knew what you were saying. Actually, you got it right. You, yeah, and he was the first uh, to actually make that breakthrough when he was listening to the. The Buddha, the Lord Buddha, teaching the Dhammachakapavatna Sutta, the turning of the wheel of Dhamma, setting in motion the wheel of Dhamma. This is the first teaching, and he got it. And the interesting thing is, because, you know, it's all about Dukkha, isn't it? Um, the Four Noble Truths. But what is his realisation? Everything that is of the nature to arise is of the nature to cease. You think, wow, what's that got to do with dukkha? <laughs> and of course, it's got everything to do with dukkha as we can go into it. And of course, the Pali is yang kinshi samudhiya dhammang sabantang Niroda, damanti, So, this is a really profound understanding of impermanence. Um, it's pointing to impermanence. It's quite interesting. I saw some of the translations. Uh, uh, Ajahn Sajjato and uh, I think also Ajahn Brahmali has too and it's it's something like everything that has a start has an end. <laughs> I, I thought that doesn't have as much to it as this this sort of uh, translation that everything that is of a nature to arise all that is of a nature to cease. That seems a much better way to to translate it I feel. But the uh, the Buddha is really uh, when, we, everything, when we say everything, he means everything. <laughs> it's not just saying some things. And uh, sometimes this is something that people are always looking for a loophole. <laughs> Something's going to go on and on and on. And, uh, and the Buddha says uh, that uh, monks, there is no uh, form or materiality, whatever, no feelings, no perceptions no intentional activity, sankharas, no consciousnesses, whatever that is permanent, everlasting, eternal, not subject to change, that will last as long as eternity. Everything. (laughs) That is really... So the profundity of that insight, seeing that everything can cease totally, is something that is very deep. I mean, all of us, I think everyone here says, "Yeah." Yeah, things are impermanent, a change. I see it, you know. I see it. I look in the mirror <laughs> and I see the change. I see the photos, isn't it? When we see photos of ourselves when we are young, it's very embarrassing. Sometimes parents have photos of when we were babies, isn't it? I've been in Sri Lanka and I, on these arms around, you go into a house and there's a photo of a baby and so on. And, and then the son or the daughter comes in, they're about 20 or 30. they <laughs> don't seem embarrassed. In Sri Lanka, they like to have all the photos up on the wall, actually, or you know, in the living room. So it's quite a quite a thing. So when uh, Anya Kandanya, as you said, when well, Anya Kandanya saw this, he became a stream enterer. He made that breakthrough. He saw it, but he hadn't realised it. So this is just the first uh, stage of enlightenment, the first stage of awakening. And uh, I like, um, Ajahn Pramali used it when he was teaching, I think it was The Four Noble Truths actually a few years ago, and he mentions the simile of the chick. This is a chicken in an egg, you know, and it's inside the eggshell, and And uh, when it makes the first breakthrough to insight, first breakthrough to enlightenment, it's like the claw or the, um, the beak has broken through, pierced the shell and it's breaking out of this tiny little world that's lived in for however long eggs <laughs> eggs hang around and then breaking out to this whole world little by little you know and the first breakthrough can be you know this first insight into impermanence and the second breakthrough can be that breakthrough to the nature of unsatisfactoriness of dukkha of suffering and the third one can be breaking through to non-self anatta so so, so this how does this seeing impermanence, then, uh, lead to the cessation of that same cra- craving with nothing left over? How does seeing that uh, lead us to, the, to actually finishing with craving, craving ending? And of course, when we see uh, impermanence, we actually see all the other characteristics come with it, too. But the impermanence is the, the, uh, the key one. It's the one that opens the door <laughs> to, to enlightenment, to awakening. But of course, when we see impermanence of everything, that includes craving. That includes that, all that wanting, all those desires, all that choosing. I quite like that word, choosing, too, and expectation. And it can cease. It's not permanent. And when we uh, we see this, we we know, too, that uh, craving, this craving or this desire, this wanting, is actually unsatisfactory. It leads to unsatisfactoriness. And we use these words, but experientially, I think everybody knows when we want something, when we desire something, particularly strongly, we feel we haven't got it. (laughs) We feel like, yeah, in the future I'm going to get this. But we may not get it. So there's immediately a sense of discomfort, isn't there? A sense of separation. And of course, those that know the definition of the First Noble Truth, the Buddha mentioned being separated from what we want, from those things that we like, that is unsatisfactory. That leads to this sense of a dis ease in the mind. So this, when we see this impermanence, we, we realise that, uh, uh, that, that this craving can end and that it's not our best friend. You know, for many people, I think this is the um, amazing brilliance of the, of the Buddha, to point out something like, if you say to people, oh, you know, wanting and craving, desire, they, they actually are the source of unsatisfactoriness, of suffering in your life, they'll say, get real (laughs) get real no if i don't want i won't have but they don't understand they don't notice the fact that as soon as we want something we can't appreciate what we already have where we are now we can't be as it were at peace until we get what we want so this wanting is definitely leading us is driving us sometimes i call it Uh, craving and I called it last time I think the slave driver (laughs) its driving us and it's amazing you know and because we think it's us we're the we're the craving we follow it but if we thought for one moment no this is a slave driver it's pushing me to do all this stuff some of a lot of it I don't need to do and uh, leading to a lot of busyness a lot of work a lot of weariness and often disappointment If we did see that, then we could actually free ourselves from craving much, much more easily. But seeing that the craving is actually, in fact, uh, unsatisfactory, is not for our good, doesn't lead to our happiness, is the Second Noble Truth. And that is to, it helps us in the Second Noble Truth, the Lord Buddha mentions, to abandon, to abandon craving, but it's not permanent. The third noble truth is that's the permanence aspect of it. And of course, when we see that uh, something is impermanent and the craving is impermanent, how about the sense of me, I, myself? <laughs> is that permanent? If everything is impermanent, that must be impermanent too. And so it leads very naturally, connects very naturally to um, uh, this impermanence—that whatever is impermanent is non-self. There isn't uh, there isn't a permanent essence. I know when many people hear that they think, "Hang on, <laughs> I feel like there's something here." You know, there is uh, um, someone inside, and of course, there is something inside. What is that? It's our character, our personality. Uh, that's what is there it's not an, there's nothing it's not that there is nothing there sometimes when he, people hear non-self they think wow sounds like you know just empty sort of uh, robot type like beings going uh, going about of course this is not the feeling this is not the case because but these personalities these characters are they permanent are they and of course, we know that, uh, yeah, they, we know they're not, actually. And we see it, often not with their own personality and character, but other people. We can see over time how somebody's really transformed from you know, maybe not such a good character to, to a very fine character. And sometimes we see the reverse, don't we? Somebody that's had a really nice personality, good character, and they really deteriorated, maybe because of a particular situation you know uh, maybe they got involved in drugs or in a very destructive relationship whatever it is and you can see that this this is not permanent this is something that it comes and goes and but we hopefully for us if we are practicing a spiritual teaching we try to develop and improve to better the uh, the character and personality we have and of course in the in uh, when is another occasion when there is no craving in the mind? Can anybody think of that? In one of the everyday life? No, no, in meditation really. Oh, okay. In jhana? In jhana, that's the answer actually. Yeah. In jhana there's no craving. Because the mind is very, very pure and that can give it the strength to see things as they are. But of course, and the, the Buddha is pointing out the relationship between these three characteristics over and over again, because he says, whatever is impermanent, what's unreliable, um, unpredictable, that will lead uh, to unsatisfactoriness, that will lead to suffering, has to, because we'll, we will never be able to get things perfectly the way we want, because this is another uh, translation I quite like for, for dukkha, is imperfect, imperfection. You know, we can get things just right for a while, but then either that they change, the conditions change, the person changes, or we change, <laughs> our minds change. And therefore, this is the nature of anything that's impermanent imper- is going to lead to this unsatisfactoriness. It will tend to do that. And then, um, and the Buddha always goes on, that whatever is unsatisfactory, that is without a self. And that what is without a self, that is not mine, that's not me, that's not myself. And then he says, "Um, thus it should be seen by perfect wisdom, samap as it really is, who sees by perfect wisdom as it really is, their minds are not grasping, are detached from the taints, and they are liberated. So that's, that's, the, um, that's the process of it. But I thought I'd say a little bit about those four uh, ways that, we, are, um, uh, that uh, we let go of uh, craving, because they, they point very, very strongly, in my mind, to non-self, even though the main breakthrough, of course, is to impermanence. And you can see that, actually, if one really, really understands impermanence. If, for instance, if, you've got, if you think, oh, I'd love a new iPad or something like that, do people still use iPads? <laughs> They've probably moved on from iPads. And, uh, and if they suddenly, if they kept, came to mind, oh, Oh, the last iPad, I remember it was, you know, sort of broken and it it really deteriorated after a time and it ran down. And so this sort of fascination with getting is always with something that's perfect, that uh, we're not seeing the impermanence of. But if we see the impermanence of something, it really reduces that craving, that desire for it. And so this this can be very helpful um, to us. And so the significance of those terms and as I mentioned it's the fading away and cessation of that very same craving with nothing left over, giving it away, giving craving away, letting craving go, releasing craving and not adhering to craving. And uh, I just mentioned that Ajahn Brahm did a whole talk on those four terms (laughs) and it's one of his most popular ones actually. Got lots and lots of hits for that one. But somebody told me that anything on the internet that has four in it usually is a a reason for generating hits. Isn't that interesting? What's that? I don't understand. Maybe that's why the Buddha chose Four Noble Truths. (laughs) He knew the internet was coming (laughs) so people would be be watching all these things on the Four Noble Truths. Maybe that's the reason. But when you hear those terms, you know, when you hear this, the Buddha mentioned that we're giving craving away, letting it go, releasing craving and not adhering, sticking to craving. Doesn't it sound like, what it sounds like to me is that possession, we think we own it. We think we are the craver and we think we are the chooser. I like chooser for craving too. And, uh, And so this is very hard to give anything away that we think we are. And so this is why the three characteristics really work together, having seen impermanence, having seen dukkha and then seeing non-self. And you always, I'm sure many of you remember the the Buddha's uh, teaching where he said to the monks when they were in this forest, a Singsapa forest, that's a type of tree in India, and um, he. Uh, he, he said to them, well, he was actually in the jettawana when he said this, and he said, monks, if someone were to come and uh, you know, cut down the branches, take the leaves and all this away and then burn them, would you be upset and distressed and, and uh, angry? And the monks said, no, 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 we wouldn't because this is not us, this is not ourselves, this is not ours. <laughs> and, and then the Buddha said, in the same way monks, this body, is not yours. This feeling is not yours. This, these perceptions, these uh, what I call intentional activities or choosing, this, these consciousnesses, sixth sense consciousness, are not yours. And so, this is a way. When we, when we see that, then we don't have to get involved with. It. We can let them go. It's a way of being able to let them go. Just as, if you. If somebody you know has had a car accident, you feel like, "Wow, oh, it's terrible, that's not good. You know, their car's been damaged. Fortunately, they were OK. But if you had an accident in your car, would that be different? Very different, I think, for most people. But if actually you saw, that, like, saw your own car as being like any other car, then there wouldn't be that clinging to it and that uh, suffering that happens. When we attach to something that's impermanent, that's the basic uh, problem of life, isn't it? We're attaching to so many things that are impermanent, along with us, this body and this mind, moving on all the time. So this, um, so one of the one of the sayings that I like from Ajahn Chah, and this explains. I've got to explain the title of the talk. Ajahn Chah once said uh, that. If this body could talk, it can actually, can't it? <laughs> this body's talking. No, it's the mind that's talking, really, isn't it? It would be telling us all day long, you're not my owner, you know. Actually, it's telling us all the time, but it's dumber language, so we're unable to understand it. But if what it's telling us, the body is, you don't own me, you don't own me. But... When, the, when you look at the Buddha's teaching, when you understand the Buddha's teaching to some degree, you know he's also saying, we don't own the mind. We can look after it. We can develop it. We can incline it towards uh, wholesome things, positive things, to development, to growth, to things that lead to happiness and well-being for oneself and others. But we don't own it. and. Uh, um, I'd always, it's always interesting when you say that. People think, "Well, come on, hang on," but uh, I, first, I think uh, you know it's very, very true that this body, non-self, if I don't know how it runs at all, you know, how if I I keep saying to people, you know, if I had to run this body, you know, pump the blood, inject the hormones, do this and do that, enzymes and all, it would have died years ago. <laughs> I haven't got the manual even. <laughs> I haven't got a clue. And yet, each and every one of us thinks, yeah, it's my body, it's my body. And we're only concerned mainly with the outside, but if the inside's not working, it's problems too. But it's the same with our minds, and even worse, you know, people say, this is my mind, and then terrible anxiety, terrible depression, psychotic episodes, all these things. This is my mind? Interesting. <laughs> It's really pointing to the fact that it isn't our mind. It's like the weather, but we can work with it. And we can work with it in a skillful way, positive way or a negative way. And this is what the Buddha is aiming, is pointing us towards. So, so this is... Uh, and for those that think, you know, for instance, that, well, I'm, I am the craver, I'm the one that rushes down to Chadston and gets this and that and all those things, you know, something I saw advertised on television or in an internet ad. Um, I'm the one. If you realise, if you think of dependent origination, it's happened because we have senses, we can see, we can hear, smell, taste and touch. Then we have a contact, we saw this ad, and then a feeling came up, oh nice, good, you know, and then the then the desire wanted, oh yeah, that'd be really good, so down to chadstone, <laughs> and then we we have to hold on to it too. that's called crave uh that's called uh clinging or upadana attachment. We have the idea, yeah, I've got to get this <laughs> because if we didn't attach to it, then we'd probably forget about it and 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 not get it, so it's a process that's happening and it's hard for us sometimes to focus on the fact that this is a process, but actually, people do glimpse it. You know, if, if for instance, you know, we've had a really bad day, and we've we've said things we, sh- you know, to somebody, we've hurt somebody and upset somebody. We'll say about ourselves, well, I wasn't feeling very well, or you know, um, I had some bad news, or you know, things. I had a headache, <laughs> or something like that. But if somebody else does it to us, do we think like that? No, we don't think, oh, you know, there's probably some reasons, some causes for them being like that. We think, oh, that that's them, isn't it, really? And often here, as you do, you've probably heard too, they'll always be like that. That's what people say, oh, they'll always be like that. So, and that's, of course, uh, not the case. It is a process that's going on, a process we can work with, with wisdom, understanding. But particularly, because it's a Noble Eightfold Path, with kindness, without harming, with compassion, all these good qualities, with acceptance, with understanding. So this gives you some idea of uh, the description of the Third Noble Truth and the importance of all three characteristics, not just impermanence, so that's the breakthrough. Because once we see the uh, impermanence of things, that really changes everything. And it reminds me of, of a monk who was, uh, who was looking at a... Um, he told me, uh, looking at this um, landscaped garden with a beautiful pond and everything, and was just looking at it. And then the mind flipped and could see weeds, could see algae growing on the lake. And all these things, just seeing that impermanence of that beautiful landscape, immediately the mind flipped and let go of the, hanging on to that beauty. And what do you think the result was? Happiness. <laughs> Whether enlightenment is another thing, but that's uh, that's happiness. And I'd just like to finish with a, a quote, just in case, uh, you know, you have some uh, negative, you think, wow, this was heavy, <laughs> negative view of it. There's a sutta called Be Your Own Island, and this is from Ajahn Sajjato. And it's, it's a nice sort of summary of the talk, really, so we should finish. And it's, it's about sorrow, lamentation, pain, sadness and distress and it says, sorrow, lamentation, pain, sadness and distress are given up when you understand the impermanence of all five aspects of body and mind. They're perishing, fading away and cessation and we, and truly seeing the, with right understanding that all these aspects, whether past or present, are impermanent, are suffering and perishable. When these things are given up, there's no anxiety. Without anxiety, we live happily. A, uh, well a monk or a practitioner who lives happily is said to be extinguished. This is nibbana. It's the same word as nibbana in those respects. So that's very encouraging. You realize when we uh, give up this ownership, when we give up craving. Um, this leads to happiness, freedom, and leads to freedom from anxiety. So it's a very, very positive thing um, that the third noble truth is about. As I mentioned, had the Buddha only mentioned the first two noble truths, it might be a bit depressing <laughs> that there is suffering, unsatisfactoriness, and there is a cause, but he didn't show us the way out. This is the way out of all of that. So. The point is for us to develop the Noble Eightfold Path, because this is the way to develop that view which leads to understanding uh, the three characteristics, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and not self. And to have the stillness in the mind, the uh, steadiness in the mind that can actually see deeply into the nature of reality. That's uh, That state of mind that is really pure, free of those L- liking and disliking—that's what—that's what skews our vision of reality. We like, we dislike, and also it leads. We talk about the noble eightfold path, but what's the ninth factor? Do you know? Right, liberation. Rates. It's getting close. Ten. I think. That's ten. That's right. It's it's samanyana, So it's right. Uh, Developing right knowledge, this is direct understanding, direct experience of reality. Understanding it, and the last one you you got right, right liberation, you know, freeing the mind from being reborn ever again. So this is possible for all of us in this life. And uh, if you think you're not ready for it, don't worry, (laughs) it's not compulsory. In Sri, in Sri Lanka, in Sri Lanka, we always see on the death notices, don't we? So they always say "Niwansuwa uh, Atveva," which means "May you um, attain enlightenment." They usually say Niwansua Labeveveva," another, another, same meaning, really. May you attain enlightenment. But I often think, I don't think they want to. <laughs> so it's in our own time, and when we're ready, when we have suffered enough, when we have seen enough, when our wisdom's right, that will be the time that we break, make the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths, all of them. So thank you very much for that. And, so I do. and next time, Fourth Noble Truth. <laughs> so I'd like to finish there. If anyone has any comments, complaints or uh, uh, com- uh, or questions. Oh, there we are. That's good. It's such a deep subject that I always always feel like, well, how's it going to go? <laughs> because you don't know. But uh, you know, I think not bad. Not bad. That's good. So are there any questions on not in the in? Wow, that's great. You all understood. Wish I'd. <laughs> tell me. <laughs> any online question? And, uh, Yes, uh, we have an online question. Yeah. I'm from Florida. Oh, hi, Florida. <laughs> yeah, hi, Florida. Wrong place. I'm looking.
1: Thank you, Ajahn, for sharing the dharma. In daily life, do we experience the third noble truth
0: when having momentary experience, not a
1: hearing or fading away, releasing, even if this experience are not at the stream entry level?
0: Mm. Yes, I think um, uh, all of our lives are teaching us about uh, the uh, nature of reality. That's the Four Noble Truths, is about the nature of reality. And so we experience in our lives, you know, we can understand um, different uh, experiences that we have and see the Four Noble Truths in those experiences. I think this is what the person is saying, even in daily life, but it will depend on the clarity of our mind, won't it? The strength of our mind, the purity of our mind, to see it really deeply. And of course meditation is a great aid for that. But really, if you notice um, in the um, the the verses of the enlightened monks and nuns, the Terigata and the Teragata, often the enlightenment experiences that monks and nuns had weren't in meditation. The mind, but the mind was ready, you know, for seeing things. They see small things, you know, like the, I think it was um, Venerable Patacara, the, uh, uh one of the foremost uh, the teachers of the nuns at the time of the Buddha, she saw water running downhill. We see water running downhill, but she realized she looked at it, and that experience of seeing the water run from higher ground down to medium ground to lower ground reminded her of impermanence. She had experienced a whole, they say, pretty much a whole family dying in one day and, uh, you know, children. So they were like the water that disappeared into the ground very soon after it started running down. Some went further, that was like her brother who passed away on the same day. And some went further, and That was like her parents, who were killed when there was uh, a fire, I think it was, in the house. <clears throat> and so she saw impermanence in her everyday life. So in that way, if our minds are prepared, if we have an understanding of a nature, dukkha and anatta, of impermanence, non, of uh, unsatisfactoriness, and non-self, we will start to see it. We'll develop more and more the uh, vision to see it in our lives. Most people. They haven't heard about it, (laughs) so they're not looking for it. They're not. They're not picking it up. They are ignoring it because most people want permanent. We want permanent happiness. That's. That's uh, uh, why, uh, impermanence makes permanent happiness impossible. (laughs) We can get a bit of. We can get happiness for some time, and then it will change. And everybody knows that, you know that. uh, the happy forever after that you see in the movies doesn't last that long actually <laughs> especially you see all the divorces or, and i always remember i i oft, i said it the other day uh, there was a song when i was young by linda ronstadt and it's obviously lovers and so on and she's saying did you think forever would last the whole night <laughs> And that's that's the truth of it, and that's this impermanence is 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 ruining it for all of us. But people don't want to know it. <laughs> Who does? They want to they want to uh, focus on permanence. They want to focus on uh, satisfaction, uh, perfection, and you know anyone that seeks perfection in their life realizes how how much suffering that causes us. Incredible, it really is. And the other thing that causes so much suffering in life is taking things personally, taking things like uh, being offended by what people say and do, not reflecting, you know, basically that's where they're coming from, really, if that's there's some cause and condition for them being like that. But when we take things very personally, then we're going to suffer too. So in our daily life, for sure, in Florida, we can see these Four Noble Truths. There is no moment when the Four Noble Truths, when the three characteristics, are not manifesting. They are there all the time. We are just not seeing them. We often we don't want to see them. So, so thank you for that question. You can and in course, you know, one is developing. Um, very important, the Buddha emphasises. That in order to see something, to experience something, to understand it, we, first of all, we have to have the perception of it. And so developing the perception of impermanence, of, not, of uh, dukkha, of unsatisfactoriness, and non-self, very helpful. Because then, having that perception in mind, we can use it in our daily life, too. And it will be reinforced. As I say, most people are not doing that. They want permanence. They want to be a big self a big ego (laughs) and they want this sort of permanent lasting forever lasting forever happiness so thank you for that from florida yeah and are there any comments or questions yes yes please great
1: um yeah so we speak of the three characteristics in terms of developing that wisdom to you know, let go, renounce.
0: Let go, yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: letting go, I really think that's a key word. It was spoken yeah, it really well last week at the last talk. And um, yeah, I was just curious, um, so with, like, contemplating mm-hmm. the three characteristics, like, say, you know, the impermanence in everyday moments, like that stream or whatever, um, how would you um, rank, uh, say, just the pro- act of continually trying to let go consciously of, like, what's going through your mind just... um. There was this good advice given, which I sort of took with me last week, just letting go of whatever's impermanent and arises just in your mind. Yeah. More or yeah. less along that sort of a thing. And, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, that leading to cultivating stillness and... Um, yeah, but does that rank in importance with, in terms of this uh, actualising the third noble truth, this letting go? Could you speak I, on that? I think or? this is, yes,
0: I think this is very much what they were talking about in a way, you know, is, yes, that's the, that is the whole point, you're quite right, you know, these three characteristics of impermanence, um, uh, unsatisfactoriness and unself they le- enable us to let go. Um, in um, in a big time if we realise the third noble truth. But if we're practising in daily life, this is very, very useful. And I remember there's a lovely um, uh, teaching Ajahn Chah gave where he, he was saying, you know, that in life, he said, grasp things lightly, <laughs> hold on to them lightly. Uh, And don't cling on to them. Just hold on to them lightly. And he gave an example. He said, it's like picking up this torch. And he picked up a torch just to see what it was. Oh, it's a torch. And then put it down lightly. So the more we hang on to things, the more we attach to things, the more uh, difficulty, more suffering there will be in our lives. So if we practice uh, letting go, and it's got to come from within, actually. It's got to come from wisdom, too. not. Necessarily, sometimes uh, if we force it, not good, (laughs) but if it comes more naturally, you know, from just understanding, yeah, you can't hang on. And I always feel, you know, it's like life is like this, you know, if we try to hang on to anything, anyone, um, and they're changing, we're changing, we'll be dragged by that experience. And my uh, simile for that is to somebody hangs on to the car handle of a the door handle of a car outside and the car starts moving, that it's going to be dragged. If they don't let go, they will definitely come up with some injury, maybe even be run over or killed. And it's it's the same in life. What really enables us to let go is just seeing that this is not um, this is not leading to our happiness and well-being. It's actually suffering. <laughs> And that makes it much, much easier, so that wisdom power. but inclining the mind towards letting go is very, very uh, very, really, really good, you know, um, and letting go, that can be from the level of simplicity, can't it? You know, living a simple life, letting go of wanting so much in our lives, letting go of thinking that if I get these things, it will make me happy. Um, and uh, so the, yes, letting go, practicing it in our lives, very. Um, very useful, but driven by the impermanence, uh, the understanding of impermanence. You know, because if we, if we, you know, if we go to a shop and we see something, and we think, yeah, I can just see it, like you know, worn out this shirt or these uh, this dress or whatever. Uh, we can see, you know, think, wow, yeah, see it ending up um, being d- donated to charity or something, cause, then we can, you know, let go. When we see impermanence in things, it's much easier. It's a bit difficult when you're in the store and it's all shiny and glossy and it looks all brand new and it's going to be like that forever. <laughs> Sometimes it's immediately broken uh, when it gets out of the shop, but especially if you've got kids, <laughs> it can happen very quickly. So, yeah, I think that's... uh the opposite of craving, pretty much, like this holding on? It is. It that? is. It is the opposite of... Um, attaching really, isn't it? It's the grasping that the, um, Ajahn Chah was talking about, which really holds on to things that are changing and, and we are changing as well. Just to do it lightly, just to use, we, we need to a certain extent to hold on to things very, very lightly, not to own them, this is what the uh, for me is what the the problem is we're owning things that we don't really own, <laughs> taking responsibility for things we're not really responsible for, and uh, when we actually see through those through see through that then we feel much lighter we feel happy we feel unburdened we feel relieved, so that is all letting go. But you're right, key is letting go, and that's what these uh, four. Um, ways of, of uh, giving up craving are about letting go and Ajahn Brahm gives that very nice talk about them. Uh, really old talk but it's it's a really good talk I remember it very well so it's a, a great talk. So letting go It's called the four ways of letting go Four ways, of, it's got four in it. <laughs> it And the magic word letting go is always good isn't it? People People, uh, yeah. It's the highest rated, um, highest view is it right? I think it's got some minions, isn't it? Or, Yeah, that's amazing because most of the people that get minions are not talking about Dhamma. <laughs> They're talking about a lot of other things, but not Dhamma, usually looking pretty good too. <laughs> so that's uh, where they get high ratings. So is there. Oh, hello, James. Yes. I've got a quick. Oh, is. Alright, there we go. One, one more for the floor and then one from on. Is there any others online? Just one. Oh, that's good. No you can you can ask James. Yeah, Just, just with respect to craving and letting go, Yeah. does the same principles apply to not taking things personally? Oh. Like, yeah. like sometimes it's when you're confronted by something and yeah. someone or yeah. an event it's like yeah. oh Am I responsible for that, or like? Yeah. So how do you, do you have any recommendations on how not to take things personally? Is my oh, question. Right. Yeah, no, that's a very good question. I think a whole whole dumb talk, actually. Yeah, I notice it's, it's quite interesting. I think there's, uh, I, I see it with myself and other people too. They say there are two types of people, don't they? they? Have that idea of the introvert and the extrovert. And I notice, because I'm more introverted, believe it or not, <laughs> that, in a situation something happens and I think oh what did I do you know I immediately default to that you know what have I done what I said you know somebody's in a bad mood or whatever extrovert opposite they say that's their problem isn't it and maybe they've done something or said something but they don't realize it so this is uh, dealing with them um, uh, taking things, not taking things personally is really important actually realizing that Um, A lot of what we experience are just triggers, you know, they're triggers. They trigger the emotions within us and the same for other people too. So in that way, we we don't necessarily, if we can see it as a process, we can see the causes and conditions for things, we don't take it so personally. That's why uh, the Buddha taught dependent origination, isn't it, and dependent cessation a whole chain of causes and effects that explain how um, suffering arises and how it finishes, how it ceases by itself. So when we understand the causes and conditions, then we don't take it so personally. We don't think, oh, well, why did this person say that to me and, um, uh, and do this? Why did that person pull in front of me or take my car parking spot? This is very important at this time of year. It's Christmas. <laughs> People in Chadstone are really <laughs> circling like sharks around the cars, the, the vacant uh, car spaces, and they are very desperate sometimes. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so this is part of how we can do it: seeing the process, seeing the causes behind it, you know. And and also, I always liked what uh, Ajahn Jagaro said: giving people the benefit of the doubt. You know, somebody says something awful or does something awful, just think, wow, there must be. You know, maybe they're having a bad day, a bad hair day, or they've you know, some, had some bad news. And that is actually looking at life in a more realistic way. When we look at everything being focused on I or me, that's quite unrealistic actually, because the world is not really concerned that much about I and me, and this, this, this person as, as such. Um, so it's, that can help us when we see pro, that it's a process. And, um, and therefore we can step back and not own things that we don't need to own. They're not really ours. We, you know, being And we see the results of um, the reactions too. Is it leading to, to good states of mind or not? And then step away from those that are, are leading to negative states of mind, where possible, to understand them. Because understanding is what changes everything, it really does. <laughs> So thank you for that, James. And one more question, and that's it, I think. Thank
1: Thank you, you. Arjun. We have another online question. Oh, good. What is meant by neutral feelings? What will neutral feelings affect the mind? Is it important to know the neutral feelings?
0: Yeah, Yeah, right. This is... this is uh, the aspect of the mind, which is um, about feeling. This is Vedana. And there's three types of uh, feeling, a pleasant feeling, unpleasant feeling, and neutral feeling. And they're connected with the body and the mind. So that makes six, doesn't it, really? And also, they're connected with all the senses, too. So feeling generated by sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, and the mind. <laughs> so six of them. So this person's asking about the neutral feeling, and the neutral feeling is something that is uh, people when they hear this, when I first heard it, I thought, well, what's this neutral feeling? You know, is it sort of like neutral on a car? you know when you you're going through the gears and you just go to neutral, <laughs> you don't go first gear and then second gear and so on, but you're you're in neutral a lot of time. but actual fact it's it's the sort of experience when we think, uh, if you ask somebody, what are you feeling now? Often people will say this, actually. What do they say? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> That's neutral feeling. And for most people, what do we do? We ignore it. We think, wow, it's boring, isn't it really? We want, we want something a bit exciting or interesting, dramatic. We want something that uh, really presses our buttons, or, You know, gets us uh, involved and stimulated. But In actual fact, for someone who really understands neutral feeling, it can be quite a pleasant experience because it's not unpleasant. And when we see that it's quite a peaceful state of mind, you know, uh, feeling when we have a neutral feeling, uh, it's quite peaceful. And so for meditators, it can be quite a nice place to hang out because in our lives we are really um, running after pleasant feeling in every shape and form, you know, sight, smells, taste, touch and um, mental experience. We want pleasant experience and and in the body, of course. And uh, in th- the other side is we want to avoid any unpleasant feeling, especially pain in the body, but also pain in the mind. And this Vedana, these feelings, people may think, oh, this sounds a bit academic, but in actual fact, it's running our lives. It's driving us. Pleasant feeling, running after it. This is what fuels craving, isn't it? Isn't it? Feeling is fueling craving. We we, we see something, hear something, smell something, taste something, uh, touch something or think about something, and we want it. (laughs) And so uh, we run after that to satisfy that pleasant feeling. And at the same time, running away from the uh, unpleasant or painful feeling, especially in the body, but in the mind. And when people really experience unpleasant uh, feeling in the mind, what do they do when it gets really extreme? Suicide. You no, know, they just want to be out of here, and yet we 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 fail to realise often we're driven by this feeling. So this neutral feeling is great; it's not dragging us this way or that way. It's a peaceful place where we can hang out and we can have some rest. Have some tea, have some tea. exactly. <laughs> have some tea. It's it's about that. Have some t- uh, no, that's that's happening soon, because we have a shared lunch after this. So it is actually a neutral feeling from a meditator's point of view, and from somebody who understands the nature of uh, understands something about the dhamma, it can be a very, very a fine thing to, to develop. And for instance. You know, we spend a lot of our times waiting to do things, don't we? Going to doctor's appointments, being on the train, being on the bus, all this sort of thing. These waiting times are actually usually sort of neutral, really, nothing happening. But it's a good time just to be with ourselves. You know, it's a good time to, in a sense, to develop a meditation, just to be in the present moment and don't have any you know we haven't arrived we were just waiting for the doctor or the dentist we haven't got to our destination and so we can just be in that neutral feeling Well, uh, in between moments this is what Ajahn Brahm calls them in between moments so this Vedana is incredibly important it's driving our lives running our lives and uh, not Ayakima uh, always used to mention this she said you know, it's what le- it drives everyone's life, even people that you know are incredibly rational, logical, and so on. Feeling still runs them, they're running on their feelings. Everyone is running on feelings. And we don't realize that we are slaves to the feelings. I mentioned we we're slaves to craving, but actually the lead up to that is slaves to feeling. That's what generates the craving. And somebody that understands feeling as just these uh, pleasant feelings, neutral feelings and unpleasant feelings arising and passing away, they're not going to, uh, if they understand it fully, they're not going to crave in relation to those feelings, not going to think, "Wow, well, I've got to get this, <laughs> that's great, more of this, oh, must have more of this uh, food, must have more of this type of movie or video. They won't. They won't do that because they've understood. But we we usually uh, follow it, <laughs> follow our feelings very much, driven by those feelings. So, thank you for that question about Vedana, because that's a that's a big part of. Have you heard of Satipatthana? The four focuses of of mindfulness, and that's a very very important one. It's the one that. Uh, Benvosariputta, the foremost in wisdom of the uh, Buddha's disciples, it's what he made his breakthrough was contemplating Vedana, contemplating these feelings and and liberating himself from them. So thank you very much for that. And I think that's it. So now for those who wish to, we can pay respects to Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha to finish off. And please come over for a Uh, for the lunch, shared lunch, and next weekend, of course, Christmas, and uh, there will be that program running from Christmas Day and, as you mentioned, Adrian, Monday and Tuesday, and so you're welcome to join in uh, for that program. So I wish you a very good Christmas and I hope that next year, 2023, is much, much better, (laughs) right?